What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 171. That's not uh, what it says on the screen. I will update that and I will update <laughs> things now. I have been running late today. Um, this is episode 171 of Armchair Producers. My name is George Terran, the delayed George Terran, shall we say, along with the man, the myth, the uh, the spice in my kitchen, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. Uh, it's uh, been a busy day for both of us. So anybody who, if there is anybody who bothers to watch the live stream, we apologize for our lateness, but I don't think anybody does. So I think it's fine. And the people on the podcast don't care. <laughs> it's true. As long as they get what they uh, came here for. And uh, if you are choosing to download this show, thank you for your discerning taste in podcasts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have uh, the third week of our new streamlined, yes, more efficient show. We got it at about 130, 140 last week. So we're 146, it, I think. So we can see if we can try it down slowly. We're getting there slowly. It's, it's you know, it's a process. Um, and uh, uh, I've uh, we got some interesting films to talk about this week. Yeah, are we going to start um, with the chain film? Yes, absolutely, as is the tradition. So shall it be for all time. And then we're going to move on to one of George's suggestions for the first time in the new format of a show. Um, we'll be talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Academy Award nominated, two Academy Award nominated films. Today. Yes, yes, it's all, about, it's all about the nods today. <laughs> oh, uh, the Oscar nods tonight, today, with of course, then the Banties of Inishiran, the shoulder shakingly funny Banties of Inishiran, which has been nominated for a bunch of stuff. Colin Farrell's up, Brennan Gleason's up, I think the director's up as well. Um, uh, yes, uh, for best director, but um. You see, there's some fuss about Andrea Riceborough's uh, Oscar nod this week of uh, uh, reviewing their processes for people getting who are campaigning for uh, Oscar nominations. Um, and in the light of, well, Andrea Riceborough basically doing what uh, everybody's been doing for quite some time, I think, which is basically lobbying the Academy members to uh, to get uh, to vote for their movie, but. Um, but somehow that's been parlayed into a question about racism, but uh, it's not somewhere I'm going to go. You can read about that in the newspaper all you want. But um, <laughs> I'm hoping to actually have a look at the film she's been nominated for just to see if I can figure out what all the fuss is about. Yeah. Do you want to crack on and get started with our chain movie this week? Yes, let's let's get, get straight into that. Um, hang on. I am... Oh. Ah, stop doing stupid things. Why am I so stupid? Answers on postcards. <laughs> uh, tune in next week for the answer to that question. Um, and much, much more. Um... Oop, no, not Kate Colin Farrell. There we go. Uh, oh, there we go. All right, cool. And so there we go, nerds. We are all sorted. Boom, done. It's all streaming and loading. Done. There, there we are. Up done, to done the platforms. It's um, on the platforms and all the things. Yes. So after hours, this was your pick. 
my suggestion um i forget who our link was again but um, uh it was john hurd just it john hurd who plays tom the bartender yes. uh this is a 1985 film directed by martin scorsese himself yes uh, and i had never heard of this film before doing my research yeah. Never seen um, or heard anything about anything it. about it. Uh, linking it out of um, uh, awakenings last week. An ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho he met that evening at a coffee shop. Directed mm. by the great Martin Scorsese in the middle of the eighties, and apparently this is just one of those little hidden gems that has disappeared beneath the waves of a yeah. stellar career. Written by a gentleman named Joseph Minion. No relation to the other minions, I believe. Um, starring Griffin Dunn, who is not exactly a household name, but some oh. of you might know his face. He's been around the shop for a while. Uh, Rosanna Arquette, a very young Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cheek and Chong, uh, Linda Fiorentino, John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara, many years before they uh, got back together again for uh, Home Alone uh, mm-hmm. in 1990. Um, a Bronson Pinchot in a very, very small role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a deeply, deeply strange film, yes. and a very un Martin Scorsese type film. Um, yes. apparently, he um consulted a bunch of famous directors about how to end it because he wasn't sure. One of whom was Terry Gilliam, which is interesting because the entire film really felt like something I would expect to see from Terry Gilliam rather yes. than Martin Scorsese. Just the yes. opening of a film in the office place, the sort of banal, bland office place of desk after desk after desk. Uh, but when we come in to Griffin Dunn giving Bronson Pinchot a lesson in how to use word processing software. Yeah. For the kids out there, when we say an ordinary word processor, we don't mean a copy of Microsoft Word. Um, <laughs> in 1985, a word processor was a person. Um, yes. But... We see him in the office teaching Bronson Pitcher how to use the computer software. And you're like, wow, this really gave me serious Brazil vibes. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it came out in the same year as mm. uh, as Brazil. So uh, I, I can't be sure exactly uh, which one came out first in terms of date. But um, I, I, I felt a real similar vibe initially. And while it doesn't continue on with that kind of super surreal Gilliam-esque vibe quite as deeply strangely as if that's a way to put it. It's not as deeply strange as Brazil is. Uh, Brazil's a weird fucking movie. Uh, it's also great. Um, this one's weird. I'm not sure if it's great. What were your yeah. initial impressions? Um, well, after after you picked it, I had a look at the trailer and it's like, okay, this... I don't quite know what to make of this movie. So I didn't know what to expect going in. And, you know, it's a Scorsese movie that's kind of lost the time, generally. No one talks about this movie. You know, you know it's, no one's, there's not even uh, sort of like fanboys of Scorsese that are now popular in Hollywood just going, oh my God, I grew up on After Hours or anything like that. So, okay. It's it's weird. And it it is kind of comedic in the the sequential of increasing absurdity of it. And I kind of like it, but at the same time, it's it teeters so much on that line of absurd and ridiculous that 
if Terry Gillingham had directed this and he had just been full Terry, I think this movie would have been appealing because it's certain certain expectations. And it almost actually feels, rather than a movie, it feels like a series of innocuous events, almost like a someone has... No, I said series, not Siri. Talking Siri. I didn't get that. Stop it. Could you try again? <laughs> She's always listening, people. Um, uh, I hear you. Just to, just to place this film in his career, we have Raging Bull in 1980, The King mm. of Comedy in 1982, which was, I think, we talked about one, last week, being one of our chain movies, a fourth or fifth maybe on the chain or mm-hmm. something. But still, we saw the influence of The King of Comedy in Joker, which was a, yeah. obviously deeply influential on, on um, the people who made uh, the uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker film. Mm-hmm. Then three years after that, we have After Hours in 1985. The next feature he does after that is The Color of Money, and then The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, in between, he, I did not realize he directed the uh, bad video for Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> um, but Color of Money, again, maybe also a slightly more forgotten film, but I remember it had Tom Cruise and Paul Newman in it, and it was maybe more of a crowd pleaser than this one. But, yeah, you know, in amongst that, I mean, again, The Last Temptation of Christ, I'm not sure it remains his most influential work, but I know it won Oscar, uh, on an Oscar, I think Willem Dafoe won the Oscar for that, maybe. Mm. Um, but it just goes to show in amongst that, I guess, uh, a, an okay film can sometimes fail to stand out when you're directing all-time classics like Raging Bull yeah. and King of Comedy. Um, yeah. But to follow up on your point, if Terry Gilliam had a hold of this um, content or this script and had gone to full Monty the way we know he can, assuming, you know, nobody died or was not a hurricane that blew the set away. <laughs> or just decided no. <laughs> or, or a coup or perhaps you know, a meteorite or aliens landed and abducted the cast or whatever it is that's going to happen to ruin a Terry Gilliam film because you know something's going to happen. Yes. Um, but he, he got, it's a good point you made there because, like, this sort of feels like a good director, a great director, a master director, trying his hand at something that doesn't quite fit his style. Mm. And I think maybe people fall into the trap now of thinking, oh, Scorsese, he does gangster films, mm. you know, because I mean, Goodfellas, Casino, um, Departed, mm. you know, mm, yeah. uh, The Irishman, it's kind of what he's known for. But yeah. if you go back through his career, you can see he's very capable of doing a number of different types of films, but absurdist sort of com- black comedy he yeah. is maybe not quite in his wheelhouse as something he's very comfortable doing. This is maybe why he decided to do it. Mm. Um, it's a bit like when you see, you know, it's not quite the same thing, but when uh, I always think of um, Natural Born Killers, it was a Tarantino script. I've talked about this before. Where yeah. Oliver Stone directs it, and you got Oliver Stone directing a Tarantino film, and you're like, eh, they're great yeah. filmmakers, but they don't quite click, and it doesn't really quite work. Exactly. Uh, and I feel like that's that's kind of what this film was. It's good, but it's so damn strange. Yeah. And it's kind of played straight so much. But you're yeah. like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Like, a girl's just committed suicide in her apartment and it's kind of being played for a gag. Yeah, it, it doesn't make too much... Like, there's not too much of a logic to it. And at the same time... Um, the character of um, what's his name, uh, uh, Paul. He's he doesn't exactly um, 
trying to ingratiate himself, especially in modern modern day socials uh, expectations, as a particularly nice guy because effectively he he seems relatively nice, and you, the way that the movie starts and the the first meeting that he has with uh, Roseanne Arquette kind of kind of sets you up with the expectation oh this is going to be almost like a when harry met sally kind of odd couple kind of thing and then it just spirals in a really unexpected manner with no kind of prelude or setup of we're about you're like that, that roller coaster moment just when you get to the top you know they always stop it just so that you really feel that impact. Is it like, no, you're just going straight fucking for it. If I can can give a comparison, maybe the film it reminds me most of is a film like The Warriors. Um, In the sense of, if you think about The Warriors, but if The Warriors was a comedy, um, a a black comedy, you know, if you get the gang and they sort of start, we've got this one central event that sort of sets the whole thing off and they've got to get, and it's set in New York again. So you want to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And stuff just keeps happening. It stops them from getting from point A to B, B so quite so easily. Yeah. And making that being played for last, that's what we've got here. So uh, Paul, Griffin Dunn, uh, meets uh, Marcy, Roseanne Arquette in a coffee shop. Uh, he's having dinner, I think. Um yeah, and she starts talking to him, which in New York City, I've been in New York City three times. If some rando starts talking to you in a coffee shop, fucking run! Yeah, like that is one wacky city. I swear to God. Yeah. Um, and they sort of strike up a conversation. Uh, he thinks she's quite attractive. She seems to quite like him. So mm-hmm. she ends up giving him a phone number to call, normally so he can buy a plaster cast paperweight. It's like a, a bagel. Yeah. Um, everything, house mate makes. everything everywhere all at once. Um, and it's a good call. Um, <laughs> but I think normally to get this, this paperweight, but he actually gets it. It's a phone uh, number to call her. He ends yeah. up calling her, getting her address, and he just catches a cab to go meet her at her Soho loft apartment. While he's in the cab, he loses all his money because it blows out the window, which was kind of an interesting contrivance. Uh, he rolls up to her house. She's got a hell of a weird roommate, Linda Fiorentino, playing Kiki. Um, yeah. And this is, and just to be clear, this Kiki doesn't run a delivery service. Definitely uh, not. No none. delivery service here. Um, see that—that that was me, you know, giving a Ghibli reference. So you should bottle that. Take a photo. Let it be noted. One seventy-one. It happened. <laughs> um, so. But it doesn't really quite work out between him and Marcy. Marcy's a bit weird. So despite the fact he's used to speaking of your social norms, he's a little bit pushy about uh, getting what he wants. Yeah. Um, and ends up taking off uh, to try and get home, but realizes he doesn't have enough of a subway. Yeah. And he has, the guy won't sell him a token, and he tries to jump the barriers, but there's a police officer there, which everybody knows is bullshit. There's never a police officer around in New York City when you need one or someone's jumping a, uh, a barrier like that. Um, mm-hmm. And hijinks ensue as mm-hmm. he is forced to bounce around Soho trying to figure out how to get back uh, to his apartment 
uh, in the Upper East Side. Mm. I can't remember exactly where he lives. Yeah, I don't. But just to tell you how how much of a nerd I am, I did Google how long it would take him to get there. Okay. My my first thought was like, okay, the subway's busted. You can't get a subway. You got no money for a cab. Uh, fit Shan at your Paramore, your your potential love interests apartment. It's Manhattan. It's pretty flat. Yeah. So walk would be my thought. I mean, I like it's a big it's a big place, but like I think Google would take you about an hour forty to get from, from her apartment. So to yeah, his apartment. Given, like, the, given the the shit that um, Paul has to deal with, I would happily invest that hour and forty. <laughs> Uh, and maybe that was on purpose because the film does go for about an hour 40. So, um, you know, it would have been less interesting if he just decided to walk home. Um, mm. But he meets all sorts of wacky characters uh, in his travels, including uh, Julie, the, mm. uh, the waitress at a bar. who he takes seems quite to a... be somewhat stuck in the past with music. Sort of, uh, and a sort of a beehive hairdo. Mm. And she takes an interest in him and takes it quite personally when he does not return to that interest in her. Yeah. Uh, we meet Tom, the bartender, um, mm-hmm. played by John Hurd, um, mm-hmm. uh, who wants him to help him out by getting it, it gives his apartment keys to uh, Paul, to do him a favour, so he'll give him fare for the freaking subway, and then that doesn't go well. Then he meets Gail, played by Catherine O'Hara, and that's mm-hmm. when fit, things really get serious in the sense is that burgle doing the rounds in the neighborhood and everyone starts to think maybe he's that burglar and organize a fucking lynch mob to try and kill him. Well, you, you're missing a key element there. In, and that is um, Terry Jar as Julie. She, when he goes to her apartment, she starts drawing him. And then she also just happens to mention that she works at the Xerox uh, store down below and she feels so jaded that she has been making these essentially stop him posters and just going around the neighborhood. And that's what kind of flips um, Gail to go from, I'll drive you back in my ice cream truck to, well, I'm gonna kill you. And this is all in one evening. So <sighs> <laughs> um it's kind of like a video game in parts, you know, like you kind of got to get past the one boss, you get to the next mini boss and Catherine O'Hara is the last mini boss. I think the main boss is New York city. Um, <laughs> you cannot you, escape from did, New York. Did you think this was a funny movie? Did you find many laughs to be had here? I didn't find it funny. Like um, this, this was definitely not a laugh out loud, funny movie. And it was also, not a mild titter of a laugh. It was like, yeah, it, it was just like, okay. Okay. Yep. That's annoying. Yep. Ugh, awkward. Uh, it didn't make me actually laugh. You're an interesting factor and you'll find in the trivia here, that Tim Burton was the original choice to direct this film. Tim Burton's the second choice for the direct, for director after the producer saw Vincent, 1982. When Scorsese became available after production delays on The Last Temptation of Christ, Burton, according to Griffin Dunn, gracefully bowed out of the project, saying he didn't want to stand in the way of Scorsese. 
And little would you in 1985 if you were Tim fucking Burton who hadn't really done anything yet. But yeah. What an interesting, interesting thing is would have been to have seen Tim Burton what? direct this. Yeah. Again, I kind of feel like his screwball, oddball character decisions would have kind of brought a bit more of the brevity to it that this was missing for more marketability, I guess. Like, these, every single person that we are introduced to starts off as, okay, they're a little unusual, but okay. And then they flip just on, on a dime. And it's just kind of like, whoa. But Tim Burton, he populates every single one of his worlds with weird, kooky people. So he does weird and kooky well. It was probably yeah. a bit early to cast Johnny Depp, but he could have tried. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. This film might have played better as a horror film in some ways or a darker, scarier film. Yeah, almost like a thriller. I, mean, like, you know, you keep, I don't know if you've ever played um, any of the Dead Rising games or zombie games, but the, the first couple were shot set in malls, which were good fun. Mm. And the, the mini bosses are all wacky people who work in the mall who've gone crazy, but they're called psychopaths. Like they work in stores. And, you know, um, it's a bit like this here. These are almost like psychopaths in this city who've gone kind of nuts. You kind of got to get past. Yeah. Um, and New York was a very different place in the 1980s. That is, you know, I went in the 2000s when it had been cleaned up and mm. you could walk around. And uh, it's the only scary thing that happened to me was a homeless guy saw me wearing a Batman t shirt. And was kept asking me if I was the real Batman, uh, which of course I'm not. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean come, on, come on, that's that's a stupid question. I mean, you can't answer that that kind of question honestly. Yep, either either way, because one way people think, oh, you're lying, or the other way they'll think, oh, you're lying. Pretty much, and uh, maybe he was a real Batman. Matt was just sort of deflect attention, but the '80s was a lot scary. Was a lot, I remember growing up, but New York seemed like a really menacing place. It was full of crime and sleaziness and, you know, Times Square was full of porno theaters and stuff like that. And, you know, you're going to get you know, shot for your shoe. That, that scene in uh, Last Action Hero where they shoot the guy and you take your shoes, you know, like um, that was like, I always figured that's what New York was like, you know. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it was in the 80s. So, so... I mean, there's a reason why Escape from New York was set in New York, because it's like, all right, you know what? Shit's got bad in New York. We can see them just kind of going, yeah, we're, we're done with it. Let's let's just turn it into a prison colony. Um, so it, it, maybe in that sense, I found myself thinking, it's just a little bit scary about what's happening to him. Like, you know, people are trying to kill him, right? It's kind of dark in parts. Mm. And what happens, it, um, I think we can give spoilers for a 40-year-old film. Um, he's saved when an old lady he meets in a nightclub covers him in paper mache, pretends he's a, a, a sculpture <laughs> and, and actually covers his face and his mouth and he's basically trapped in his paper mache. I'm like, this is some fucking sore shit here, you know? Yeah. Like, and like, if you wanted to turn this into a thriller, that's a pretty fucking dark way to end the film, right? Yeah. Um, just moving into the back of a room and there's all, a whole bunch of them down there, right? Different yeah, yeah, people, yeah. You know, but no. I mean, the end of the film is that this is fine. It's, he, he ends up back at work. <laughs> Um, but uh, I didn't find it funny either. I don't know whether humour was supposed to be in this. Of like, yeah. I guess it was situational. Like, oh, what a wacky hijinks he's up to, you know? This shit just keeps happening to him. But um, I, mean, I, I, 
I guess part of it, or, or maybe the missing element was um, maybe that moment of relatability. Like he was, we didn't get a chance to really see him at work. And then the, the movie is all called After Hours. And it it could have been uh, like if the fact that everyone starts nice and flips. It's almost like they're, they're different personas from work to, to away. And if that was kind of the, the gag that they were trying to go for, you didn't get enough of professional um, Paul beforehand because uh, he, see, he seems somewhat lackadaisical and uninterested in his job. And generally he seems lackadaisical and uninterested in everything except the fact that it's fucking up his night um so i was kind of i kind of imagine that um who he was training maybe should have been in the so like the mohawk night bar yeah that would have been that would have made sense yeah it's a good call oh okay i i get it that's that is funny the masks that we wear during the day and then after hours the 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 monsters come out so to speak you know whatever but that didn't happen no, it, it, that kind of Bronson Pinchot was in one scene, and you're like, he's gone. Um, what a waste <laughs> of a fine actor. Um, this is, a, as I said, I, I just keep coming back to going. It's a very odd film. The other thing that you know, occurred to me watching it was, I've seen. Uh, I think Griffin Dunn. I think of two things. Mm. I think of uh, I Love Dick, the Kevin Bacon TV show uh, from a few years ago, which is also profoundly weird. Um, if you're interested, it, it's around the place. I think it might be on stand in Australia. Okay. Um, I don't know that I'd recommend it, but it's deeply strange. It has some interesting ideas about female sexuality in there. Um, okay. Not something that's explored in After Hours. Mm. Um, but the other film I, I, I go, Griffin Dunn, I think Who's That Girl? The 1987 Madonna film. Maybe you are a, a very keen listener of the show. Uh, I was subjected to this film last year and did talk about how it's okay um, as Madonna films go. But Griffin Dunn is the the uh, romantic lead in that film. It's a very, very similar film to this film. The only difference is instead of meeting Rosanna Arquette and her, you know, things happening from there, he meets Madonna and she's kind of the um, catalyst that causes all this wacky chaos. Mm. Um, but the difference is sort of that film sort of got the wackiness turned up to 11, mm. you know, instead of, it's not the dark wacky, it's just wacky. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, I look at that and go, huh, how weird. And it was two years after this, he did that film, but two years after working with Martin Scorsese, one of the greatest directors in the world on a kind of a wacky hijinks, black comedy, he ended yeah. up doing very, very similar film. With Madonna, um, I, I would not be surprised if this job got him that job. Um, yeah. But um, that's that's my knowledge of Griffin Dunn expended mm. uh, just about. Um, I'm kind of glad I got to watch this, though. It's a weird little nugget um, in a stellar career. Uh, I'm not sure I like it as much as a lot of the reviewers. This has got a 90 meta score. Yeah. yeah um, that, Roger that, Ebert listed as one of the great films of the 80s. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, it's it's amazing how much talent is peppered throughout this whole thing. Um, but as a standalone movie, it's like, okay, 
kind of like tar last week. I don't think I can recommend this to anyone beyond it's an experiment and something that is going to test your metal because I, I don't know quite who I would recommend this to. I can't think of any associates, friends, relatives, anyone that I just go, oh, you know what? They probably in, enjoy experiencing this. It's it's a cinematic curiosity. Yeah, it's a, it's something if you want to complete the pack, if you want to complete all of score, you're really into Scorsese. You're a yeah. film student and you want to understand everything and how he, everything about how he ticks and what he's done, and you want to see Mister Complete the Set. It's not the worst thing he's ever done. I'd say it's better than some of the stuff he did in the '90s, like uh, Bring Out Your Dead and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, it's, if nothing else, it's how often are you seeing do black comedy? But you're you're right. You wouldn't just go. You wouldn't be in like a, a you know in a break room at work. Going, what I saw a really great film that everyone's going to enjoy. Um, and if I can just um, have a little bit of a bitch at YouTube for a minute, I rented this film on YouTube to watch it. How annoying is it when you pay to rent a film and they don't have subtitles? Mm. Now, obviously, it's in English, so don't worry about that. If you're playing, oh, this sounds intriguing. I want to see it. It's just that, like. So many films these days have a badly mix, and like you have a very soft dialogue and the very loud explosions of music, mm-hmm. and and also maybe someone like I might have had Michelle sleeping in a room. I don't want to have the mute the volume up loud enough so I can hear it. I want to have a subtitles on so I can understand what's going on. No mm-hmm. subtitles on YouTube, even though you got to pay five dollars for it. So fuck you, YouTube. It's another good reason to steal it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've, I, that's, that's that's after hours for me. Is there anything yes. else you'd like to say about it? No, except reveal what the next link in the you chain the key, the is. The link this time, as I pointed out last week, we haven't really de- delved too deeply into um, comedies in our chain loop. This was supposed to be a comedy of some description, but we are going to a certified comedy movie. Now, we are fo- following Catherine O'Hara, to one of the best regarded comedies, Best in Show. Oh, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. It's a 2000 movie, a behind-the-scenes look into the highly competitive cutthroat world of dog shows through the eyes of a group of ruthless dog owners. This is um, one of the movies by the same general collection of people that brought us such gems as this is Spinal Tap. Um, we have got Fred Willard, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Jennifer Coolidge. We've got uh, a young Parker Posey in there. We've got Michael Hitchcock. We've got... Will uh, Sasso. Yeah. Bob Babylon, Christopher Guest, Michael McKean. So much. Eugene so Levy. It's a it's a veritable smorgasbord of improv. Most of this film is improv, by the way. Yes, I've I've seen this film, and most of these, the way these guys work, you get a one page, one pager, and this is what's happening in this scene. Go in and do it. Yeah, and I can just say for a moment, Jennifer Coolidge is having an absolute moment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, big star of um, uh, White Star Lotus. White Lotus, um, yeah. season two, 
and mm-hmm. I think she's kind of almost the breakout star mm-hmm. for that season. And a film we won't be talking about tonight, but maybe we will in the not too distant future if I really don't like George. Um, is Shotgun Wedding, which is available on Prime now, starring Jennifer Lopez uh, and Josh Duhamel. Um, and she is the best thing about that movie as well. So Jennifer Coolidge having an absolute <laughs> red hot uh, couple of years. Good choice. It's a great film. I am looking forward to seeing it again and so many um, wonderful, wonderful ways out of that film, including yes. The Princess Bride, of course. Which I won't be doing because we've all seen that a million times, but exactly. you know. Exactly. But for those who want to play along at home, um, you can rent this on pretty much all the standard places. So you've got Apple, Amazon, and YouTube. But that is a little bit of a treat because, you know, we've been do- doing a lot of movies that we haven't seen before. But this one, I wanted to just really, really tick that comedy box with, with a certified success. I think I saw this film probably when it came out 23 years ago. And I'm mm. pretty sure it might have been one of, if not the first film I ever watched on a computer. I think um, one of my <laughs> friends had one of those AOL, I don't know if you had them in the UK, AOL tried to um, tried to penetrate the Australian market and they were giving out like fucking candy. Yeah. CDs with five, yeah. 500 free hours. Like when you used to pay for the internet by hour, people. Yeah. Remind, eh? Um, you get 500 hours of, we had a stack of them this high on our desk. So in honour of that, maybe we'll have pixelated versions of ourselves next week. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I wish, wish we knew how to do that. Um, that would be so good. Um, but moving on, yes. shall we move on to your suggestion this week? Something a little bit classier. Well, yes. it is Scorsese, but something a little bit more current, and that would be the... Uh, Academy Award nominated Guillermo del Toro's. Uh, Pinoc- okay. Mm-hmm. This- weird thing, it's actually called about Pine It's not titled Pinocchio. Its official title is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I guess to separate it from the horrible Disney one that came out this year. Yes, I think it's partly that and also because of legal rights. <laughs> right. I think Isn't it Disney- in the public domain? Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, this is Guillermo del Toro. Um, doing a feature film, stop-motion animation. And he flirted with this idea delightfully in the early opening credit sequences telling the story of the elves in Hellboy 2, the Golden Army. And it was kind of um, puppetry work, so like shadow puppets and things like that with with a little bit of stop-motion in there as well, I think. And it was just beautiful the way they did it and then i this for years people were talking about oh he's working on pinocchio okay i'm curious about this because he is someone who will happily delve deep back into the deepest most original version of a story to pull out the most grotesque most depraved disgusting ending that you can possibly think it would be like the the difference between hans christian anderson's version of any of the fairy tales that he had where they were grim fairy tales compared to the disney ones he always goes for the grim and he does it in such a delightful way and this is a telling of it that you don't haven't really experienced before because one for the setting 
the fact that it is during a wartime and how that informs the creation of Pinocchio, shall we say. This movie is beautiful, technologically just an absolute masterpiece. Stop it's really spectacular. It looks spectacular. You forget you're watching puppets. Yeah, yeah. And the 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 guys at I think it was Laikai that did the um, the stop motion work here. The same people that did um, Coraline and those sorts of films. This is genuine mastercraft. And it's an interesting cast of voices as well. We've got Ewan McGregor as Cricket. We've got David Bradley as Geppetto. Gregory Mann as Pinocchio. Bern Gorman as the priest. Obviously, it's Guillermo del Toro. So you've got Ron Perlman in there. John Tururo, Finn Wolfhart, Kate Blanchett, Tim Blake Nelson, Christoph Waltz, Tilda Swinton. Whew, that's quite a stacked card right there, ladies and gentlemen. And to be noted, though, I don't think Tilda Swinton, sorry, um, Kate Blanchett actually has any actual lines. Yeah. I think it's just grunts. It's, she plays a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think she actually says anything. So she's a soon-to-be triple Academy Award winner, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. Uh, and she's playing a monkey. So she really wanted to be in this film. She really wanted to work with Del Toro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it is the longest stop motion animation film ever made, apparently, at an hour and 57 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I will agree with you on the technical side. The first 20 minutes of this is just stunningly good. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's and it's got a unique look, which all of Del Toro's work does. Uh, the stop motion is as good as I've ever seen in terms of he's obviously gone for a more realistic look. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people who do stop motion don't really seem to mind that you can tell. I think mm-hmm. of um, Isle of Dogs, which didn't really mm-hmm. seem to mind, but they're a bit jerky. That almost seemed to be built into the style of the film. Yeah, and it almost it's, made it kind of look a bit handmade. Yeah, and I love that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just love, I grew up with this, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Jason and the Argonauts and that kind of thing, right? Um, I forget the guy of the name, Ray Harryhausen. Harry is, uh, Harryhausen. Famous. Uh, for his stop motion work, and it coming back is great. It's come back in the fashion, mm-hmm. and you forget you're watching puppets. What they get these characters, puppets to do, and the way they move is unbelievable. Um, mm. So, from a technical standpoint, uh, I know this has been nominated for best animated feature. I think at the Oscars, mm-hmm. I if you were awarding that purely on technical specs, I think it would be a lock. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of a film to sit down and watch, I did not enjoy this very much at all. I agree with you purely because of the way that Pinocchio is presented. And he is so annoying. And yeah, I get it. It is. Um, I was talking to a friend of the show, Patrick, about this, and he had the same, the same hurdle of it's really frustrating. He's got a great voice, for one thing, and he's a, a newborn essentially just kind of going oh what's this what's this and everything is exciting and new but that's really fucking frustrating to watch for an hour and a half there's not that it's two oh he's he's in the film for an hour and a half you're right Uh, the whole film's two hours Mm. i of course found him annoying because he's a young child (laughs) young children are annoying um what i struggle with very much in this film was it's a family film. Even the, the tags 
on the film and IMDb. Animation drama family. It has yeah. a PG rating here in Australia, or an M rating, I think, here in Australia, which is virtually mm. the same, I think, as PG uh, yeah. over in the States. Um, so this is a film that's made to be seen by children, mm. which is fine. I mean, the Pinocchio, famously, the Disney Pinocchio film, this is a fairy tale. Mm. You're probably not going to make it, unless you're, you're probably not going to get the kind of money it, that it takes to make this film. Mm. And make it a horror film, which would be interesting. Um, so this is me making we need a blue, they're gonna do it with all of them. I can't wait to see that. That's gonna be so weird. Um, but this is but on the one hand, so it's it's made for children, but there's some really dark themes and scary shit that like the uh wood sprite slash death. I mean, mm. played by Kilda Swinton is pretty full on and kind of spooky looking if you're a young child, maybe. Yeah. Um, also reminded me very much of a character from Borderlands rather than like a Woods product. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Borderland games. It kind of reminded me of the, um, some of the characters in Borderlands 2, actually. Um, <laughs> so it was an alien character that's a weird looking. Uh, also, that movie's coming out later this year, apparently. It's been delayed, but yes, I'm very curious to see what that looks like because that's <laughs> going to be, it's going to be a complete shit show. I'm calling it now. Speaking, Kate Blanchett's in that. Yeah. Um, and Jack Black. So weird. Um, Pinocchio dies multiple times. Mm-hmm. He's shot in the head at one point. Um, there, it's got Mussolini and fascist in it, which, in one side, is an interesting angle. Yes, but I don't think they really fully take advantage of it. And at another point, um, John Turturro's character, Dottore, uh, points a gun, puts a gun in his son's hand, and tells him to shoot his best friend in the head. Like, there's some shit in here that is pretty full on for kids. Now. It got past the rating board and, you know, whatever. You can make that choice if you have kids or parents can make that choice. But for me, it's like, okay, what kind of film is he making here? Because if I'm watching a kid's film, um, it's not a pure kid's film. I mean, I guess from that perspective is why I found it quite so dull is because it's been made for children. Uh, I felt like I was watching a children's film. Then there'll be things that splash up and you'll be like, what the fuck? You can't do that in a kid's film. Yeah, um, I absolutely that. way too long, way yeah. too long. I did a half an hour cut out of it, 20 minutes, half an hour. I know I, I'm back on my bandwagon on that one, I always say that, but <laughs> it needed 20. If, if it, I don't know that a kid is going to pay attention for two hours, they can barely yeah. pay attention to a 30 second TikTok, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a two hour stop motion Pinocchio film, I don't know if that kid's got it in it. I think he's just kind of landed in this weird. No Man's Land. It's not a kid's film. It's not an adult's film. It's too long for kids. It's too long and for adults and not interesting enough. But I don't think he's quite nailed what this food is for. And hence, it's kind of not quite right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't... The... This movie definitely is Guillermo del Toro, through and through, unlike um, After Hours, where it didn't really feel too much like a Scorsese movie. Um, this feels like a del Toro movie, but it, it seems like the the normal focus that he has of um, like uh, Nightmare Alley, his last uh, feature film with Bradley Cooper, um, and Kate Blanchett, I think it was. Yes, um, yeah, film. yeah. 
a fantastic film and it had this beautiful wave that ran through it and it just kept on twisting and twisting and twisting until the very end where it's just Bradley Cooper laughing and at the, the you know almost in a darker version of After Hours almost <laughs> um it it had its theme it had its target in mind and it stuck to it this it does drift but partly because of the the music in it and because of just how childish they especially start pinocchio off at it makes it really hard and the visuals of it while they are phenomenal and they are incredibly technologically impressive again it doesn't quite sit with it with the with the, with the tone of and the pace that the story is being told and then on top of that you've got these like you said these moments where it's almost like a, a punch coming in and you flinch but then the punch stops six foot away from your face it's like oh they, huh what, what wait what was the point of that oh we're moving on oh okay and if it, that punch had been able to connect, that would have been something. Yeah. But it's yeah. not. So it's sort of like it's neither here nor there. So you're like, you went yeah. to all the trouble of swinging your arm, stopping it an inch from my face. So yeah. why do that? Now, obviously, in real life, I prefer people not to punch me just as an FYI. Yes. But it's in a, in a movie, in a Del Toro movie, which even in the trailers, it kind of, you got that sense of darkness to it. And I feel like they should have embraced that to like, this is kind of people talk about labyrinth, the dark crystal crawl, these, those dark fantasy movies from the eighties that were really fucking dark. When you kind of think about them, this had the possibility of just kind of rekindling that and doing that in the modern age of cinema, but it didn't. And it, is to its detriment if they had just gone you know what no this is a pinocchio story and you're automatically going to think oh i'll take my kid to that but fair warning your kid's going to be fucking scared ah, you're you. you gonna fuck your kid up for life but you know that's good yeah it's like th th this movie should have been this generation's watership down that's what it should have been is like oh buddies. no no <laughs> It's too soon amount of triggered now. I think we did talk about the worship down in the old GNT podcast about 10 years ago now. Uh, I don't think I've got over that yet. Um, no one has and no one ever will. Is that? And the, and the horse dr is drowning in fucking never-ending story. Uh, Artax, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah Artax um, in the, the swamps of sadness. And you're like, there's some dark fucking movies, the bad guy, and the, it, was the, it was the nothing. Um, anyway, I, I'm with you on that. I just think it's, it needed to be one thing over the other, uh, and it needed to be shorter, and it yeah. needed to be more entertaining. And yeah. you made an excellent point there. The songs, oh my god, I fucking hated the songs. Mm -hmm. uh, they were horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, people who are long-term listeners and viewers will realize that I, I'm not a fan of musicals, despite popular opinion to the contrary. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I hated. I always hated when I was a kid, and you expected every Disney film ever. They all broke out in song all the time. I'm like. Yeah. I don't need the songs. Mm -hmm. Quite happy with the story. Thank you very much. But um, that and that hasn't changed. And I found them 
intolerably annoying the songs mm-hmm. here. Um, so I'm sorry, Del Toro fans. I'm mm-hmm. sure if you're a really big fan, you'll find something to enjoy here. Um, as, as George noted, the technical side of it is gorgeous. It's, mm. it's really stunning animation. And what they do with them, the puppets and the animation is breathtakingly good. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's in service of a fairly dull story. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agree. Um, which breaks my heart because I, I love Del Toro's stuff. I've loved every one of his movies. Um, and he is overall working at the top of his game at the moment. Um, but this, I don't know whether it was his choice or if it was um, Netflix kind of saying, yeah, we're a family platform. I, I, I don't know, but something just didn't, didn't, didn't land right. And that's disappointing. It didn't, it didn't seem like Netflix. They should leave filmmakers at Del Toro alone to do whatever it is they want to do. And I've been talking recently about Disney, how I'm like, fucking shit, they have a Disney right now. <laughs> like, if Disney could do it, I'd be very surprised if Netflix are cutting, cutting out the legs from under Del Toro. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, who knows what it was, but it didn't. I think maybe, maybe it's yet another example of someone who's at the top of their game, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan, etc. Uh, Matt Reeves and the Batman, you know, like someone needs to come along and go, uh, does Batman really need to be three hours long? Do we how, need how many times do we need that Nirvana song? How many, something in the way the sixth time this movie, do you know it's been six mm-hmm. times now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like just cut 20 minutes out of it somewhere. I mean, maybe, <laughs> uh, you know, like Nolan, you know, could someone please hear a dialogue? Mm-hmm. Uh, people like dialogue. Your dialogue's very good, Chris. Someone should be able to hear it. Maybe mm-hmm. someone needs to come along and tap Del Toro in the shoulder and go, mate, you know, either punch the people in the face or leave them alone. Yeah. Don't, don't Which move are you making here? Because you got two, two, two dueling things right now and they're both losing. Uh, maybe it's just that he doesn't have that, but who knows? Maybe, maybe. I will be that person for you. <laughs> we're, <laughs> happy, we're happy, to watch, it. We're happy to, to watch your films ahead of time and just go, Nah, mate. Um, <laughs> speaking of nah, mate, should we move on? <laughs> yeah, let, let's go on to um, and yet another. Last week we we had Tar. This week we've got Banshees of Inisherin, um, as Oscar-nominated darlings. We do try to get this time of year. It's a good time of year to do this kind of thing. It's in the news, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, these kind of films are of a higher quality. Mm-hmm. At least the Academy thinks so. Um, so interestingly, I don't know if you noticed that um, Amanda Arnott has been nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar this year, so that's fascinating. Mm. Not anyway, not not for this film, this film has been nominated for nine Academy Awards, which is a lot. Um, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Music Written for a Film, Best Motion Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, twice, and Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's going to win many of those. It might win a technical award somewhere, maybe editing or something, but um, it's not winning any of the performance awards. Um, this is directed by Martin McDonough, who directed In Bruges. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he you ever saw that. has Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Which is very good. He directed, uh, he wrote Seven Psychopaths. He wrote uh, Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, and directed uh, both of those films as well. I was just checking mm-hmm. that. Um, I liked Free Billboards. I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for them both. Colin Farrell stars as Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. I'm going to say Patrick because it's like I'm not Irish. Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. Uh, Brendan Gleeson plays Colm. Uh, Kerry Condon, who's best you know for best actor, plays Siobhan. Mm-hmm. And Barry Keon, who's been nominated for uh, best supporting actor, plays Dominic. So all four of his leads have been nominated for acting awards. So mm-hmm. good on him for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Pad Patrick, uh, Colin Farrell. Uh, he's yeah. friends with Brendan Gleeson. Yes. And at the start of the film, he goes to his house to see if he's invited to the pub because they go to the pub the same time every day. But today, Brendan Gleeson just ignores him. Mm. And he finds out later that he doesn't. He, Brendan Gleeson says to him, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Yeah. Uh, you're dull. Yeah. And that sort of kicks off the wacky, loony shit that this film's about. This film is, according to IMDb, a comedy drama. And as I keep saying to people, when I look at the um, Metacritic reviews, the top review by Robbie Collin from The Telegraph in the UK, this is an often shoulder-shutteringly funny film. It's mm. a funny film. As a, whose comic dialogue is dazzlingly designed and performed, but we don't lose fate itself for the last black bone-rattling laugh. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't... Speaking of... We watched a funny comedy before. I don't think I laughed once at this film. How did you go? Uh, I'm just going to share something on the screen right now, and um, it's the definition of comedy. Um, professional entertainment consisting of jokes, sketches intended to make an audience laugh, or a play characterized by its humorous or satirical tone and its depiction of amusing people or incidents, in which case the characters ultimately triumph over adversity. That is prime example of Shakespearean comedies right there. Um, I did not laugh once in this movie. I did not let out a little t- t- I did not go <laughs> nothing. This is a drama with an attempt at making pathetic slash sadness funny. Maybe it's an Irish thing. I did talk to someone who had Irish heritage and we sort of said started explaining the plot to him. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. And I'm like, okay. Um, maybe. I, so I have a feeling if you're Irish um, or have Irish heritage, recent Irish heritage, you might find this more to your liking. It is set on the island of Inishirin, mm-hmm. which I don't believe is a real place. Um, I guess I'm going to quickly Google that. Um, I don't believe it is. But uh, wherever it was shot was gorgeous. Just a stunningly photographed film. Um, uh, and maybe not for you, I suspect, because a lot of the, I guess, land countryside and landscapes and stuff are probably very familiar to you from your childhood and your younger years. Um, the, the fences and stuff, all with the stone fences and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the verdant fields and the sheep and stuff. And you're like, oh, just stunning. But you're like, it probably looks, maybe I figure people from the UK maybe just going, it looks fucking cold. And people from Ireland going, yeah, it looks fucking cold. Um, <laughs> um, but if to say, so uh, we, we meet these characters. Uh, Colm has decided he wants to focus on his art, his music. He's decided mm-hmm. he's got very little time left. Not so much time, but not very little, but not a whole lot of time left. 
uh, in his life to 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 spend doing something, and he thinks he'd be better off doing it trying to practice his music, which is the fiddle, and mm-hmm. he that gives him a, a chance, something to be remembered for, as opposed to as he says, you know, basically talking shit with someone who's dull. Mm. Um, Padre Colin Farrell does not get this. He complains vociferously to his sister, uh, Siobhan, who is a librarian, I yes. think, teacher. Um, and everybody in the island sort of is a gossip and starts getting involved and mm. trying to figure out what's going on and trying to change Brendan Gleeson's mind. At the same time, we have a backdrop of the Irish Civil War, which mm-hmm. people on the island can see taking place on the yeah. distant mainland. And I think this is maybe supposed to be a parable for, you know, those sort of ongoing troubles that Ireland has had over the last couple of hundred years. And let's face it, it's the fucking English who did it, but they were responsible for it. But, you know... <laughs> Yeah, not to say it's an Irish problem per se. It's a problem imposed on them by, you know. Um, but <laughs> the English have a lot to apologise for. Let's just move on. Let's just put that on the list. Um, <laughs> next, we'll be talking about the Elgin marbles. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I think maybe it's supposed to be, you know, like brother versus brother of the Irish Civil War. And we've got these two guys fighting a you know, a, a, a mysterious a battle that neither of them really seem to quite understand? Maybe. I mean, it's it's because there was there was talk um, there was talk in the movie of um, sort of like the uh, the executions and how the uh, the cop just wanted to see an execution, didn't fucking care who it was on what side or anything like that. And um, he just wants to see kind of other people get hurt rather than himself. And maybe that maybe it is supposed to be a parable for that of um, Colm is just saying, let me do my own thing. Stop trying to fuck with me. I will, I will cut off a finger every time you talk to me. And that is a thing that happens in his film. Yes. He's not making that up. Yes. That is, that is the, that is the escalation point. And Pedrick just keeps on wanting to understand why, why, why I'm a nice person? Why are you be, and and just pushing and pushing and pushing and just being um, unstoppable force, immovable object? If you want to go to the dark night, um, it's and it just causes that frustration on both sides. It's like to to the point where it gets out of hand, but meh, out of hand. <laughs> ah, but you're um, awake. Yeah, um, but. It's not funny. It's it's really it's really not not funny. I don't like it. it you know, I, I, mean, I suppose someone cutting their fingers off and throwing it at someone's house could be funny in certain corners or what. I mean, maybe there are certain circumstances where that could be a laugh. I, I can't think of too much of amputation based comedy, but I'm sure it's out there. Um, but <laughs> it's you know. Um, it's a subgenre. You might, you wouldn't have heard it. Um, I, I found myself going, "This is horrific." It's yeah, horrible. he never bandages it either. He just lets it bleed everywhere. Blood splattering. He's playing the fiddle. And he's blood splattering everywhere. And uh, we haven't even talked about Barry Keen's character of Dominic, who is the police the local policeman's son, 
who is being physically and sexually abused by his father mm-hmm. to the point where we, um, you should probably put the spoiler thing up because we've already given away the thing about the uh, the hand. Yeah. If you want to know more, if you want to save this film, you should probably stop now and go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the point where Dominic kills himself by drowning himself in the lake yeah. after basically uh, expressing his love for Siobhan, who basically very gently puts him down and says, oh, honey, that's never happening. Um, yeah. But he's obviously developmentally challenged, um, yeah. uh, and you can understand why at the hands of the abuse he cops at his father. And that's funny, apparently. That's funny. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, no, I'm not saying that if they played his abuse for laughs and they didn't do that, but he's uh, is he supposed to be a comic relief? Well, that's... <sighs> That I don't understand. And the the kind of ongoing element of the donkey as well. And there's just elements to it that it's sort of like, wait, is this like an in-joke for all Irish settlements where there's always that slight, that lovely guy, a bit boring, a bit dull, but he always has his donkey with him or his or whatever. And just his whole world revolves around donkey. Is is I, I, I've not heard of that. As, I mean, the, as the closest to the funniest line in the film is the one in the trailer goes, I'm not making my donkey sit outside while I'm sad. Um he Padrake's best friend, essentially, apart from his sister, um, no. Sabon, is his donkey. Uh yeah. Jenny? Jenny. This is Jenny. It's a very different Jenny to the one from Forrest Gump, okay? This one's got more character. I love you, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Um, <laughs> uh, and what happens, Jenny, what happens to Jenny at the end is <laughs> horrific. That moment where yeah. the donkey chokes on um, Colm's fingers and dies is horrible. That's uproariously funny, Travis. I love that with Artax. <laughs> yes. And, the, and then, then you see him just sitting in the room with the dead donkey. Just He's just there quietly. Just It's like, what? How, how is this funny? I'm sorry? I, look, um, I don't want to leave the impression that this is a bad film. It's not. I didn't really enjoy it. I think it's fair to say I was quite bored by the end because I was sent in expecting a comedy. I was expecting some, you know, even if it's not like an uproarious, you know, laugh out loud film, as you sort of said, a titter or a, <laughs> that's funny, you know, like a smarmy, you know, a smirky kind of comedy. It's probably more what, something like in Bruges, yes. uh, which was funny, but not yes. laugh out loud. Fun. It was kind of, it was quirky, funny, you know, yeah. and, because there are no laughs in this, as far as I'm concerned, mm. that's just left you with a fucking depressing mood of the whole thing. The yeah. drama is really dark and really depressing. Mm. And without that comedy in there to lighten it up and move the story along in a way that makes you feel good, I it's it's a bit of work for me. I mean, I, mean, the, I understand certain elements of it. Like um every time uh Pedro goes into the pub and it's like oh are you two fighting i don't know i don't think we're fighting it looks like you're fighting yeah it does look like we're fighting that kind of back and forth no one's sure what's happening and there and you keep on having the same conversation 
I get that, but it's not actually funny. It's just like, oh, yeah, okay. I know people like that. That's not that's that's not a joke. That's not and and even if you do, you kind of go, all right, you know what? Fine, this isn't a comedy. This is a melodrama. This is Lars von Trier level melodrama. This is really fucking sad. Someone is so determined to not talk to a dull person that he cuts his fucking fingers off. It seems something of an overreaction. Um, again, and that's what made me think is this supposed to be like a parable for the Civil War? You know, mm. you do this, I do that. You know, you talk to me, I cut my fingers off. You know, it's sort of the constant escalation of, you know, you know no one quite wins, uh, everyone loses. But in the end, it's it's, it's much too, look, I'm gonna say it again, it's too long. Mm. Um, if you're not making me laugh, then but then I don't think an hour 54 is really the right length for this film now. Should note deep, you and I are deeply in the minority on this one. It's got a 7.89 DB, it's got an 87 meter score, nine Oscar nominations. I watched it with Michelle, who also didn't find it funny. And just in case people do realize, I'm very, very picky about comedy. So, you know, in case you're thinking, don't listen to that guy. There was another funny line in it. And it was Colm in the confessional where he says, if punching a policeman is a sin, then we may as well pack up and go home. Um, it's, it's, it's just wisdom, wisdom yes. there. Um, <laughs> uh, it's so I guess take our word with a grain of salt. Mm. Michelle quite liked it, even without thinking it was actually funny. So maybe if you go in to see this film, adjust your expectations, expect more of a dark, depressing melodrama mm. than anything that, more like we said in Bruges or something like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Now, should we move on and have quick fire binge browse and burn? Sure. We've renamed it Burn because apparently people overseas had some thoughts about burn. It means something else in some other parts of the world. So, yeah. Oh, uh, well. Um, you can't be, you can't excuse, it's probably the Americans. What have you got this week? Well, I think we're both going to talk about one that is binge worthy, and that is the new Ryan Johnson TV show, Poker Face. On Stan over here, I believe it is on Peacock in the US. This has got one of your girls, Natasha Leon, as the main star. It also has Benjamin Bratt in it. And the first episode has got um, Adrian Brody in it. Yeah, uh, bad guy. Yes. Um, first episode was written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And straight up. I, because of this show, I would love Ryan Johnson to do a a revitalized, this is essentially Ryan Johnson just kind of going, you know what, I've got this cool idea for a character and basically I'm going to do Columbo. That's, that's, that's what Natasha is essentially as Charlie Kale. She is someone who has just got this innate ability to know when someone is lying to her. And She's got a good heart. She is referred to as Lady Galahad in the first episode at one point. And it's... This is fucking awesome. I, I like it a lot. Mm. I think a lot of this rests on uh, 
Natasha Leon's charisma, uh, particularly the first episode. Mm-hmm. I felt like that what really carried that over the line for me was the fact that Natasha Leon is she's actually one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed Russian Doll, mm-hmm. um, which she was in. Um, and I've been a fan since way back. She was in a movie about 20 years ago called um, But I'm a Cheerleader, which is criminally overlooked. Um, <laughs> but she's incredibly charismatic and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And then you had Adrian Brody, who's sleazy and oily as the bad guy, as the uh, casino boss in yeah. the first episode. And I thought those two worked brilliantly together. Yeah. Uh, and the jumping forwards and jumping backwards, I thought that was done pretty nicely. I mm-hmm. thought it just got better in the second episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that one was directed by Ryan Johnson as well. Mm-hmm. Different writer. Um, but uh, it really, it all hangs on Natasha Leone being fun to watch. And she, he totally wrote this character for her, right? Oh, this is you- God. So written for it is perfectly written for Natasha Leon. So it's the, she's the perfect actor for a perfect role, mm-hmm. and it, it, without her, this doesn't work. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm so glad that she's getting some really great parts again because yeah. she's a deeply weird person, um, and I like that about her. Like, I would encourage everybody to, if, if you're interested, go and look up an interview on YouTube between uh, Jay Leno. And uh, Natasha Leone, it's from like the late 90s. It's one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever seen. And it's deeply disturbing on a number of levels. Um, not only because Jay Leno is totally cracking onto her. Uh, and you're like, ew. She's like re- really young. Anyway, uh, I'm enjoying this very much as well. And how far along are you? Have you seen them all? I've only seen the first two episodes. So I've far. only seen the first two as well. And I think... They really hold together very nicely. So it's a serious binge territory for me. Yeah, yeah. It is essentially um, a mystery of the week kind of thing, but there is the continuous thread going through, which just nicely keeps her on her toes, as well as giving her the opportunity and giving the writers the opportunity to just go, okay, let's shake it up. Let's do so, uh, doing something new this this week and this week and this week. It's a little bit, there's just, just a tiny little touch of um, Bruce Banner's The Incredible Hulk. This is, you're right. This is the kind of show you used to see a lot back in the day. Mm. Remember even in the 90s, remember X-Files was like, you had the overarching arc of uh, alien mm. shit. But every other week, there'd be a monster of a week or something like that. And the story mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily be connected to the, the broader series arc. Mm-hmm. And it, we've gone away from that. I'm, I, I'm enjoying learning about a whole bunch of new people every week. And it's yes. fantastic. I'll agree. Yes. Absolutely. Um, have you got a browse? I have. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. All my three have been suggestions this week. <gasps> um, okay. Uh, and that is the second one I'm going to talk about is Shrinking. Shrinking oh, now this is, is the Harrison Ford one? The new series on Apple TV. Apple mm. are killing it at the moment with their TV mm. series after Severance last year. I think you talked about it. Was it Old Horses? Um, the Gary Oldman show. Yep, um, yep, yep. The morning show. Uh, this is uh, stars Jason Siegel, Jessica Williams, Harrison Ford. Um, and uh, Ted McGinley is in this as well, for those who remember Married Children. Um, a grieving therapist starts to tell his clients exactly what he thinks. Ignoring his training and ethics, he finds himself making huge changes to people's lives, <laughs> including his own. 
the creators of his show, uh, Jason Siegel, mm-hmm. Bill Lawrence and Brett Goldstein, the two men behind uh, Ted Lasso, which I didn't mention is also a huge and hit for Scrubs. Apple as well. Sorry? Bill Lawrence created Scrubs. And Scrubs as well, if you go back quite a way. Mm. Um, and Cougar Town as well, if you, that was quite a big one back in the day. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, um, Brett Goldstein plays the grumpy Roy, I can't think his character's name in um, Ted Lasso. Uh, Roy Kent, yes. And of course, he played Hercules now in the um, MCU uh, in Thor Love and Thunder. Um, so wow, that's right. Yeah. This show is sensational. There are two episodes out uh, as of a moment. This is a mm-hmm. short run. It's 10, se- 10 episodes. Jason Siegel is perfectly cast in this role. I haven't seen him in ages. I don't know mm-hmm. what he's been doing, but it's great to see him back. But mm-hmm. the real treat here is Harrison Ford. This mm-hmm. is, again, a perfectly written role for a character. This has been written, I'm sure, strictly for Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford kind of plays the older mentor character. He is he runs the uh, practice at which Jason Siegel's um, character, what's his name, uh, Jimmy, works at. And mm-hmm. sort of plays a mentor role overseeing his work. At the same time, as being deeply concerned about the unethical things he's actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's just great to see Harrison doing something. You know, you can tell when he likes what he's doing. You know, when Harrison's phoning it in, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You just look, he's like, oh, my God, he's actually put effort in. He's putting some effort into this. You can really <laughs> tell. And it's... Um, uh, it's great to see uh, Harrison back doing his best work. Uh, I was talking to Michelle about this, and she, we were watching an episode. Is uh, he's got his shirt off and he's shaving? She goes, "Ew, I don't know about that." Sure, and I'm like, "Come on, he's fucking Han Solo. He's Indiana Jones. <laughs> he can do whatever the fuck he wants." All right, um, but um, if you've got Apple TV, you're in luck because this is an absolute cracker. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. I've got a burn, and it is a controversial burn because it flies in the face of much reverse thought, shall we say? And that is Andor on Disney Plus. I have heard this described as the best thing in Star Wars for a very long time. Me too. And I tried watching the first episode, and it was boring. And I have tried to watch more. I am halfway through episode three and I have no interest whatsoever on going back. It's just fucking boring. And people keep on saying, oh, it gets really good by the end. It's like, I don't fucking care. These episodes are so long and arduous and slow. Take me to fucking Banshees again, please. (laughs) At least there's a donkey. (laughs) <laughs> this show is so boring and it's it puts on this air of everything being really big and grand and meaning a lot and everyone's really considering it and there's not always darks just dark side and light side and everyone's got this thing kind of the um the newsroom kind of attitude is like oh well there's republicans who are actually good people and there's the democrats who are assholes you know, putting, trying, painting to the, to the edges and just going, you know what, these are whole people rather than just the stereotype. But they're fucking boring and slow and 
people complained about Game of Thrones season one being slow. Oh, Doctor, this one, this one, oh, fuck me. So like, okay, so in the first episode, we've got um, Cassian Andor on the run because reasons, and he, <laughs> he got involved with a, a killing of some dickheads that deserve to die. All right, okay. Oh wait, now he's what? Stan Skarsgård's just turned up. He's doing things. I, d I don't know who he is. I don't care. Um, oh, he's now being enlisted, and he's doing a job. Wait, wait, what? What's this? What's this job? It's it's a, it's a heist. It's a it's a theft. It's what? What is it? I I don't. Oh God. I don't. Actually, care. I, probably a relevant question at this point in time is where do you stand on Rogue One? I don't like it. As I, I I remember seeing it in the cinema and going, it was pretty average, especially yeah. the first half hour, which was a complete mess. And then mm. you can see Tony Gilroy, who is credited as the creator of this show. Mm -hmm. took over it after from um, Gareth Edwards and he got cleaner mm -hmm. from there. But they still have that half hour at the start where it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I never liked it, but I know it's, it's really considered again. This, yeah, this very much ties into Rogue One. And let, let's just let's just get, you know, nice little, little... We're in a room of honesty and truth here, ladies and gentlemen. The people who like Rogue One only like it because of the end sequence where Darth Vader goes along and is trying to capture the stuff and it uh, kills things and wrecks things like a boss. And it's a sequence that we've all imagined in our heads for thousands and thousands of years at this point in Star Wars universe. And we finally got to see it and it wasn't actually disappointing like so many times when we do see things that we've been thinking about and just having all these fan moments about and suddenly it's not as good as what we thought it was going to be. There we go. Back to normal. Um, Rogue One is boring. I didn't like Rogue One, so it sounds like maybe well, I don't even remember who he is because I haven't seen it since it came out. So mm. maybe a couple of things if you want to get involved in this, like you're like asking, you haven't yet. Maybe mm. you were. I'm guessing the rework were free watching Rogue One uh, mm. to remind yourself who this guy is and why he's got his own show. Um, yeah. And maybe set your expectations to low if, like us, you weren't a big fan of Rogue One. Yeah, there's um, this. People are saying, oh, between this and the Bad Batch um, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's like, mm, no, really, just no. Please just give us a break, Disney. Please give us a break and let us just not have new Star Wars content for a little while. And you're never going to give us a break on Marvel stuff. But, but just just a break on something. I, I, am, I am stepping away from it because it's just too much too mediocrity being celebrated as gold class we're making a mockery of our quick fire challenge here sorry um, it's okay <laughs> i spoke really quickly to get my point i need to be said though like i'm very glad you watched it so i don't have to yeah because um, i've been i've been tempted because people have been saying how good it is one of the shows of a year and stuff like that um, because I'm going to talk about one of the real shows of the year, and that mm -hmm. is The Last of Us. And this is super deep, hardcore binge territory right now. We are three episodes in, and now I know you were a bit iffy about it because, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't play the game, or you, if you did, you didn't actually I like did. it as much as, no. much as I like, much like I didn't like the game very much either. I thought the gameplay was lame and the story was slow. Mm -hmm. um, but... My God, 
three episodes in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm putting it in the, on the table now. This is the episode three of The Last of Us is the best television we will see in 2023, period. End of story. I cannot see how anybody is going to top what this show has already done. Okay. So I know if he, I don't know if they still do it, but if being still off one of those free seven day trial periods, mm-hmm. when this is finished, if you don't want to sign up before or alternative or other means, um, it's, it's worth burning your seven day trial period for this show. It, it's assuming it continues on the path it is. Okay. Um, this show is the best thing on television at the moment. Uh, you do not need to be a fan of the video game. I was not a fan. I played hour or two. It made the first episode interesting because the first episode basically mimics a lot of what happens in the game. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, after a global pandemic destroys civilization, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14-year-old girl who may be humanity's last hope. Uh, Pedro Pascal plays Joel, who is our main protagonist. We also have Bella Ramsey playing Ellie, who is the other main protagonist. The mm-hmm. first episode involves Joel escaping his town in the midst of an outbreak. They aren't zombies. Apparently, they are infected, but they might as well be zombies. And the infection is not a virus. It's fungus, which is an interesting angle. Okay. Um, but there are, people have done side-by-sides of the game and, and, mm. and the show, and it very closely um, resembles uh, what happened in the game in terms of the action sequences. Uh, episode three, I'm not going to spoil for you or anybody else who hasn't had a chance to see it, but it is brilliant. Uh, the very, very sad thing is if you check the uh, audience ratings of the episodes so far, mm-hmm. um, 9.2, 9.3, and the most recent episode is eight. So Ooh, those Russian judges are harsh. It's not. A, it's just. It's just fanboys who don't understand how scripted television works. Who've watched. It's fucking brilliant. Anyway, it's been accused of being filler, but I cannot tell you how wonderful last night's episode was. Um, yeah. So, if you're not a fan of horror, it's not too bad though. They are a bit scary looking, I guess, but that's you know monsters. Um, the the relationship between Joel and Ellie is just building beautifully and i already know what happens in the end because people have been talking about this game for years now and mm-hmm. there's a sequel but wow um we might finally have it the thing that i've been waiting for since we started the show don't say it you're cursing the show you're the cursing wall, the show. this show might breach the damn wall in a sense that this is um rating its tits off as far as i understand it everybody's really uh it's it's the talk of the town so to speak the talk of anybody who's watching you know um television at the moment is talking about the last of us it -hmm. even like today's episode last night's this week's episode made news in places it doesn't normally make news in like the abc was sending me news alerts about it and stuff like that you're like um the abc being the australian version not the american version um this could be the one that actually makes um all the difference uh and turns those video game properties into you know the the goal that I you and I both and everybody who plays games know they are the difference being they're treating this one with respect and mm-hmm. like a a cherished source material you know to be respected and understood and you know uh, and actually tr- treated properly and you know the characters in the story there you don't need to rewrite the story the story's already there it's fucking amazing you don't need a new story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time, someone seems to have figured that out, apart from, you know, the, the silly ones like Pikachu and Angry Birds, which have no story, you know. Um, anyway, but therein so, lies the genius. You can't fuck it up if there's no you story. You can't fuck up. Well, I mean, there are some of the fanboys out there going, uh, it's, uh, it didn't happen I did in the game. You're like, well, fuck <laughs> off and play the game then. You're still there for you. But, you know, uh, you do have to make some changes for for television and for filming like you can't have everything exactly like the game but um it had plenty of game moments and fan service in there but i from what i understand what they've changed mm. is more to make it more cinematic but also the actual people who write this are the people behind the actual game so the people that created the game are the people who are writing the show and they've had some new thoughts about things they could have done better in a story and they're inserting it into the show which i think is mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful innovation here so Finally, after 10 years, I could be finally right. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, unless, well, Travis, unless you've got anything else you want to particularly... Nope, I am good. We can get in under our, our hour 30. It's an achievement for us. We've done it. We've done, We've done it. it. We've cracked the code. <laughs> uh, and that was us being a little bit a little bit frivolous with our, uh, our quickfire review. So mm. thank you. Uh, so you can send your checks care of the mm. show mm-hmm. except your uh, your congratulations for finally doing it <laughs> and for our next miracle <laughs> but um thank you so much ladies and gentlemen for joining us whether live or later on as a podcast on all podcast services don't forget you can always reach out and if you've got a recommendation for a movie new or old or a tv show new or old that you think that we should experience and try out and review let us know you can reach out at the fried brain at evil trav on um the twitters um uh facebook uh, facebook.com slash armchair producers youtube.com slash um, armchair producers and twitch.tv slash the fried brain we can you can reach us there anywhere um, we talked about Martin Scorsese's After Hours. I have chosen Catherine O'Hara to be our link to next week's Best in Show. We talked about The Banshees of Inisherin and Pinocchio on Netflix, both of those being uh, Oscar-nominated movies. We had our binge, browse, and burn session with two binges and a burn. Um kind of hard to get the browsers when so many things are just being dumped um all, all season um all the time but um uh, we I, I rather like that little segment actually i mean so it gets a lot in very quickly because you know tv is so much of it out there you know yeah. um yeah but you know you're right i think some weeks you can have more binges and stuff like that i think it's kind of a hot season for this kind of thing but there'll mm-hmm. be shit later in a year where you'll be just like burn it burn it all yep yep Yep, and I'm. I don't know about you, but I I am kind of keeping an ear out for ones I want to burn. Um, just just so it's, it's, it's fun to burn. It's fun to watch the world burn, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but uh, enough about my world domination plans. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. Next week we will be back as usual, and I may even have an opportunity to have some early thoughts on the first major triple a world wizarding world video game hogwarts coming okay. to xbox and playstation 
So um, I may have some early, early thoughts on that one. We'll see. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Good night.